Amen. Thank you, Brian, for reading our passage this morning. We've been led well up to this point, uh, praying the Word, singing the Word, reading the Word. Um, thankful for Graham's uh, intentional leadership and song picking uh, for this text and for this morning. Grateful for Scott uh, leading us in um, our prayer for the nation's time over a specific topic and um, both of them have kind of uh, led me right to my opening kind of introduction for this text. But unlike Scott, in 2004, I didn't have any kids. And that just tells you a little bit of our age difference there. Um, I didn't have any kids. He had several. Um, I was a young buck uh, at that day and age. I was thinking about kids, but... Um, uh, both of us have walked through that journey of adoption, and, uh, and it has been, uh, it's not an easy one. Uh, it's a, a joy-filled one for sure. Uh, but I, I mentioned that on this uh, Pure Religion Orphan Stand Sunday uh, combined, because uh, as you see on this front row, we weren't hurting for children uh, at that point in our lives. Um, God had blessed us. We were thankful for the four kids that we had. But one of the reasons we pressed into uh, adoption as a family was because uh, Joy and I just really be began to realize what God had done in adopting us. And the more we began to press into that aspect of God's love for us in adopting us into his family. J.I. Packer says that adoption is the highest honor of salvation that we've been given. Um, he sa forgave us and saved us, yes, but he, he adopted us to be a part of his family. And as we begin to just press into those truths and those realities, there was just this sense of like, why wouldn't we adopt someone else to try to visibly show this adopting love that God has for us to, to one, to maybe a, a couple, and, and to those around us and invite others to go along that journey with us. Uh, and so we adopted because we had been adopted and wanted to show that. And, and I mention that simply because this passage gets at that very idea. And if I were to sum it up in four words, it would be the title uh, that I've got for you there. If washed, then wash. If you've been washed by the blood of Christ, then you aim to show that same service, uh, that same humility, aim to show that same uh, gospel truth to others. No, you can't wash anyone's sins away, but you can wash and serve others and point them to the one who can wash them clean. Uh, I couldn't, I can't adopt my son Samuel into God's family. Only God can do that, but I can show him that adopting love that God has for us in hopes that God would one day do that. And the same is, is true in this passage. And one practical application of Jesus' charge to us in this passage to wash one another's feet could be orphan care, could be foster care, could be adoption, uh, but it can also be a host 
of other things, which is why I've, I've said uh, in, in that title, if you've been washed, if you've been washed by grace through faith uh, in the blood of Jesus, then why would you not spend your life washing and serving others in all humility like Christ did for us? If I were to sum it up in a larger sentence, it would be this. You've got this on the screen for you. If you understand that washing feet is a picture of the crucifixion, you could even add your, your own salvation, then you'll realize that it's also worthy of imitation. If you understand that washing feet is a picture of the crucifixion and, and then ultimately our salvation, you'll realize it's also worthy of imitation. That's the truth that Jesus is trying to get across in this important moment in the Gospel of John, in John 13. Up to this point, John has done his best to pick out of all of the signs that Jesus did that would fill numerous books that could not be contained in the world out of all of those signs and wonders that show Jesus really was the Son of God, he picked seven. And he's laid out seven signs of Jesus uh, to prove that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, uh, all the way up to John chapter 13. And it's at John chapter 13 where the book hinges and where John is spent uh, 12 chapters looking at Jesus's three-year ministry. Now he's going to spend uh, the last half of his book from 13 to 21 really focusing on the last few days of Jesus's ministry. And it's in John 13 after Jesus uh, pulled himself away, hid himself from the crowds, uh, fulfilling that metaphor of while you have the light with you, believe. Jesus kind of steps away and uh, he spends these last moments, these last hours with his disciples. And that begins in John chapter 13. And, and this, in a sense then, is Jesus's what's called his farewell discourse. And it follows a similar pattern that, that you have probably read about if you've read through your Bible um, in Deuteronomy where Moses has a farewell speech and a discourse. Uh, and others uh, throughout God's Word have moments where they know their end uh, has come upon them, that their hour, as Jesus says, uh, had come upon him. And so he makes some final words. These are Jesus' uh, final words to his disciples. And, and really, in this passage, he's setting his disciples up for that farewell discourse that we're, we'll continue to journey through over the next few months uh, with the washing of the disciples' feet. And, and it's, it's that context, it's that scene, that upper room, that last supper um, that, that we're entering into in John chapter 13. And if you're taking notes this morning, having written out that title and that sentence summary there, I want you to note three things in our passage this morning. Three different sections uh, that show us the worth 
of what Christ was doing as he sets the stage for this farewell discourse. Uh, the first is this, that washing the disciples' feet was a loving and humble moment worth remembering. A loving and humble moment worth remembering. We see that love stand out in, uh, in verse 1. John notes for us the time of this event this setting of the stage for the farewell discourse. It was before the feast of Passover. And so uh, most would put this uh, on that um, evening of Jesus' uh, moment where he goes out to the Mount of Olives and he prays the, the evening, uh, that evening that he would have been arrested uh, before the next morning where he would be crucified and, and hung on a cross. And so it was that um, Passover meal um, where they were celebrating their, the, the people of God's deliverance from the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12 where taking the blood of the lamb and putting it over the, uh, the doorposts and the lintels of the door to save them from the angel of death taking their firstborn son. They were remembering God's deliverance. They were remembering God's salvation this evening. And it's, it's here as they're remembering that through this meal that Jesus uses the washing of uh, the disciples' feet to point forward to a greater, more important washing uh, through the blood of the Lamb uh, that would be shed on the cross. And so it's at that feast when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but up to this point, Jesus had continued to say, it's not my hour. It's not my hour. But at this moment, first in John 12, uh, when the Greeks came to the disciples saying, we want to see Jesus, um, when the Gentiles in the world were coming to see Jesus, Jesus knew that it was his hour. And here, knowing that it was his hour, that hour that really points to the crucifixion, it points to the resurrection, but it also points to Jesus' ascension and his exaltation and glorification. I know we're saying, and Jesus said, an hour. And it was an hour in John 12, and it's an hour in John 13. He's not being literal here when he says, an hour. He's not dying in an hour. He's not being right. It's speaking of that period of time. Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, glorification, exaltation, all wrapped up in one. That moment where Jesus points out in this passage that hour when he would go back to be with his Father in heaven. And in addition to that, not only did he know it was his hour, but it says, having loved, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. He loved them. He had loved all of his own, not just his disciples, but he had loved all of those sheep whom the Father had sent him to purchase. Uh, and he would love them all the way to the very end, uh, till his death on the cross is what that's pointing to. It's that same word in the end is the same thing that uh, same root word that Jesus utters at the cross when he says, it is finished. Jesus would 
Love them till the end. Love them till the finish. Love them uh, till the very end when He would accomplish their salvation uh, at that point. And so we have to consider that, that at Jesus' heart, that Jesus' core in this act of washing feet is love. Um, love for His Father, for where He was going back to, uh, and, and on whose mission He was sent, but also love for those whom He was about to wash their feet. And when we're considering having been washed uh, and then being sent out to wash others' feet and to serve others in humility, it has to be rooted in a core understanding of God's love for you and you then having a love for others. Not in ritual, not in routine, not thinking you're going to earn anything, but in love, in in uh, a, a deeper understanding of God's love for you as an individual, despite what kind of life you've lived up to this point, despite what kind of life you're going to live in the future. A deeper understanding of God's love for you um, and a gift of God's love for others because we just don't have that, do we? At the core of who we are as sinful men and women, we don't have this overflowing love for others who sin against us, who don't love us back, but that's the kind of love that Jesus is displaying here. It's a loving and humble moment worth remembering in this washing of the disciples' feet. We see the love described for His people in verse 1. But it goes on. Beyond that, in verse 2, it says that during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Jesus, uh, at this moment, he he knew a couple things. He knew, uh, first and foremost, that Satan had already been working his devious schemes in Judas's life uh, that would ultimately bring about God's plan of salvation and redemption for his people. Jesus was aware of this. In fact, it's already been mentioned uh, in, in the Gospel of John uh, up to this point. Jesus mentioned to the disciples in chapter 6, verse 70, that one of the twelve was a devil, Here he says that the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. In 13 verse 27, John is going to note that Satan actually entered into Judas to decisively carry out his his plan. Uh, and, And John is noting that, saying this has already happened. Jesus is aware of this. In in the midst of Jesus washing all 12, mind you, uh, disciples' feet. Jesus is aware of that. Uh, he, he's knowledgeable of that. Um, it's important to note that uh, this is the same scheme, the same type of lies, the same type of deception that Satan is using from the very beginning to um, pull uh, humanity, even God's people, 
uh, away from him, um, deceiving them, tempting them. And it's no different here. Uh, Putting ideas, putting um, uh, whispers into the minds of, uh, uh, of individuals to carry them out. But we need to remind ourselves that Satan doesn't make us sin. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, knew that very well when, when he tells us that um, God does not tempt anyone, nor can he be tempted by evil, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and, ent- and enticed. Um, Satan may lure, Satan may deceive, Satan may lie, and those evil desires that we have in our heart may rise to the surface but it's, it's we who, as Christians at least, in the power of the Holy Spirit, need to quiet the, the, the lies, n- need to shine the light in the midst of the darkness uh, in those moments, and walk in faith and walk in obedience continually that we might recognize the lies better, get better at doing that. Um, sadly for Judas... He was not one of God's children. I think the Scriptures are abundantly clear about that. Jesus is going to make it abundantly clear a little bit later, later saying that one of you is not clean. Or later, one of you is not one of my own um, in this passage. And, and so Satan has no opportunity to overcome not only the desire that's in his own heart, but when Satan does it as well and even enters him later actually live out that that plan but I just want to encourage you if you're a Christian here I think there's a parable that describes uh, this truth and reality I think the scriptures are clear about this reality that that uh, while we can be deceived and lied to by Satan there is no opportunity for Satan or any one of his spirits or demons to enter uh, one in whom God has taken possession. And, and he whom the Spirit of God dwells, that person is described as a temple of the Holy Spirit, and, and there is no place for Satan to, to reside in that. And I want you to be encouraged in that if you're a Christian uh, here this morning, not fearing that something like that may happen to you. If you've been washed, that cannot happen to you for the Holy Spirit has been given to you as God's gift, God's seal, God's promise, God's help in those moments to, in fact, overcome those moments. But Jesus knew this had happened. Not only had He known that had happened, He knew that it was His hour, um, having come from God, to go back to God. He knew, uh, as John mentions here, that the Father had given all things into His hand. Uh, As he would say after the cross in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so Jesus, having all authority, having all power, having everything that he needed at his disposal in that moment, he continued to press in to wash the disciples' feet, to uh, give this farewell discourse, to uh, allow himself to be arrested and crucified, to be buried, and to raise himself from the dead by the power of God. Uh, Jesus had all of this. Jesus, knowing it it was his hour, he pressed into these things uh, all the more. And verse 4, that sentence from verse 3 ends uh, 
in verse 4 that Jesus then knowing these things rose from supper. And look at what he did. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This describes the, not only the love that Jesus had in this moment, but the humility that Jesus had, which makes it even all the more worth remembering, not only for the disciples who experienced this, but even for us who are simply reading about it, even for John's readers and church that were just decades beyond this moment. It was worth them remembering. It's worth us remembering. It's worth generations ahead of us remembering what the humility and the love that Jesus displayed in this act. And, and, and we don't understand it and never fully will, even with all of the history books written about what washing feet might have meant uh, to them then. But no doubt, um, some of the things that are clear is that this wasn't something that a rabbi or teacher would do for one of their students. That's for sure. That is abundantly clear. Uh, it's something that um, often would have been done when someone entered into a house, uh, their feet from walking dusty roads and likely wearing sandals uh, would have come into a house and have washed their feet. It would be the equivalent that we see very often in an East Asian culture of taking off one's shoes before walking in uh, to the house uh, or something like that. Uh, it, would be, it would be that type of, of picture here. And most often it would be done by a servant of the household. Uh, if not a servant, uh, well, and let me just say, and not just any servant, usually a Gentile servant for a Jewish family. Um, Jews likely wouldn't have stooped to do this kinds of things for even one of their own, but a Gentile servant to do it. Or one, if, if didn't have a servant, one would simply provide water for you to do it of yourself. Jesus even mentions this when one anointed his feet and, and washed him, saying to the, the house, uh, the owner of the house, you didn't even give me water to wash my feet with, but this woman has anointed my my feet with oil and washed them with her hair, saying how even more abundantly servant-hearted this woman was than the, the owner even of the household. So that's the picture. Uh, the last thing the disciples thought would have happened at that meal would be that person, Jesus himself, taking off his outer garment, um, wrapping a towel around his waist, kneeling and stooping down at the table where everyone was laying back at eating the Passover and washing their feet. It's the last thing uh, on their mind. Though it doesn't speak to the fact that Jesus wasn't a servant up to this point, it was just beyond their uh, understanding in that moment. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. He took a a basin of water, much like the basin of water that he took at the wedding at Cana and, and had the, those basins filled with water and changed that water into wine to then be poured out for the wedding later. He's taking those same cleansing vessels, now filling them with water to 
uh, be used in another act, this time an act of love and humility in serving these disciples and begin washing their feet. And you can just imagine the, the silence that's going on, the, the swallows that are going on, the heart pumping that is going on by some of the disciples uh, in, in a moment like that. I, I uh, you know, I, it's not very often that we have washed one another's feet, literally, or actually had our feet washed. I know it's how rare it is in my own life. In fact, I've only had my feet washed one time, and for me, it was literally like very unexpected um, uh, in, in a, a moment after a, a period of a two-year discipleship mentorship with a church planting mentor of mine um, uh, at, at the end of a weekend retreat coming into a, a scene that they had prepared for mentors to wash the feet of their disciples whom they had been walking with for two years. And I walked in and I remember seeing bowls of water and individuals sitting uh, at those chairs waiting for others to come up and I just immediately thought, oh no, <laughs> oh no. Uh, and not because I thought, have I washed my, are my feet going to stink? I like, not, nothing like that. Just thinking, oh my gosh, not, he should not do that. that. That shouldn't happen. And this is a friend. This is a mentor of mine. It's not the Son of God. It's not the Messiah. It's not the perfectly righteous one uh, who has been sent from God on mission to do that. I remember the feeling that I had that evening. How much more so these individuals. Uh, it was a loving and humble moment worth remembering, one that they likely never forgot. Um, one that Paul describes, uh, not this specific instance, but it's this attitude of the Savior that he encaptures so well in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul even encourages us, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This idea of washing one another's feet even. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Not only did he humble himself to wash the disciples' feet, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." And therefore, God is highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus displays this perfect love, this perfect humility in this one act. But it's not just a moment worth remembering. The washing of the disciples' feet was also, secondly, a symbolic and cleansing act worth understanding. 
It was a symbolic and cleansing act worth understanding. It wasn't just a nice gesture. There was a deeper meaning to this. One that they wouldn't fully understand uh, until the end, as Jesus notes. But I want you to remember those feelings that I described that I felt that evening when my feet were washed. Those compounded in the disciples on this evening as their feet was washed. Their feet were washed. Imagine Peter, the outspoken one in the group, as Jesus is rounding the table, coming all the way to Peter, having probably having time to begin thinking of what he was going to say. Jesus finally getting all the way around to, to Peter, and in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And, and as the story goes on, we know that Jesus is not saying, once I've completed this act of washing your feet, your eyes will be open. No, once, uh, once I've been crucified, you'll realize the fullness, the, the symbol that this shadow is, is, is really pointing to, uh, the substance of it. Jesus <clears throat> saying, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand but Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. Emphatically, Peter understands in the emphasis of, of the original language, literally, literally understanding who it was who was washing his feet and saying, no, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. It shall not be. That's, you can't do that. You're the rabbi. You're the teacher. You're the master. You're the Lord. You, you can't do that to me. And, and to which G, uh, Jesus responds to him, well, saying, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And in typical Peter fashion, you can almost see him grabbing the vessels of water, saying then, wash me clean, Lord. Dump, dump it on me. Wash everything about me. Uh, in that moment, um, Jesus saying, don't just wash my feet, or Peter saying, don't, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And if it were uh, a, a swimming pool there, Peter would have been like cannonballing into this uh, opportunity for washing and mercy. But Jesus pulls him back off the diving board and says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And he says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. This, this moment, this, this act um, that, that Jesus is in the midst of, Peter at first is saying, no, 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 no. This cannot happen. And when Jesus presses into it a little bit and says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. That could be translated, you have no share with me. You have no inheritance with me, from me, in this moment. If I don't wash you, 
then you, you're not a part of me. And so that's when Peter realizes there's something more to this act. There, there's, uh, there's something different in this. If, if that's the case, if that's the reality, then wash all of me. Even though he doesn't fully understand the depths of this, uh, like we do, having the whole Gospel of John, having the whole story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Peter doesn't understand that, but he at least says, if I have my feet washed, then I'm going to have a part of you, then wash all of me, because I want as much of that as possible. But Jesus says you don't need to be fully washed, just your feet. For one who has been bathed does not need his feet cleaned, uh, does not need his whole body cleaned, but just his feet, for he's completely clean. And so here we can understand the natural uh, understanding of the metaphor. Uh, for if you were to take a shower uh, and then, let's just say, you know, go outside to get the dog and you get your feet dirty as you're going outside and then you come back in and all you really have to do is wipe your feet off and like in our household wipe the dog's feet off before the dog gets to come in right uh, you you just wash your feet off and wipe, that's why we have mats at the front of our door because we, we're not into washing feet we're into dusting our our feet off and that's the case that's the natural understanding of this and what Jesus is pointing to is, is a reality here that this washing of the feet is just a picture. It's just a, a symbol of a greater washing. A washing that doesn't come from the external natural washing of dirt off of feet, but one uh, that is internal, one that is spiritual, one that is supernatural of washing sin out of one's heart. Jesus was saying, um, you're already clean, Peter, by faith, by grace, through faith in me. Even though his faith is imperfect, even though his faith is not full of understanding, Jesus says to Peter right here in this moment, you're clean. You don't need your, your feet, uh, you don't need your whole body clean, you just need your feet clean. And this is true of Christians as well. Uh, we who have been washed... Uh, and our sins wiped as snow, as we sang earlier. Uh, we don't need to be washed in that sense over and over and over again. We're saved. We are justified. We are forgiven once and for all. And if we find ourselves having fall, fallen into sin again this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning at work, um, you don't need to be saved again, Christian. You don't need to be all of your sins, be washed again as white as snow by the blood of Christ. That's happened for you. And yet, Jesus makes clear here, John makes clear in his letter, uh, for his first letter, 1 John, that there is still a need for regular confession. This is why Pastor Graham leads us so well early on in our service to confess our sins to God. Um, we who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, by grace through faith in Him, we gather together regularly every Sunday, not in ritual, 
but to remember the importance of the gospel and its impact on our lives and to live out that gospel as we confess again and as you wake up tomorrow and confess again and tomorrow evening confess again having wa- washing our feet in a sense uh, by the power of the holy holy spirit to help us to become more and more like Christ uh, there are countless verses i could share with you i'm just going to share two I'll give Graham some others to put in the questions this week for our, our D groups, but consider Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Uh, Paul writes, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. There is an ultimate washing and cleansing that the washing of the feet was pointing forward to in the crucifixion and the resurrection. The faith that these disciples would have in Jesus to not just cleanse their feet so that they would be able to eat of the Passover, but to cleanse their heart so that they would be able to eat the marriage supper of the Lamb with Christ in the end. This is the, the cleansing that this symbol is really pointing to, one that they wouldn't fully understand for, for days and months even to come. And the rest of their lives, they would fully become more and more aware of the, the depth of this reality, which would cause them to live in extravagant ways later on having recognized how much they were washed, they would then spend their lives attempting to see others by the blood of the Lamb and washing them through service and humility in hopes that they would, they would see those things. Uh, and as I mentioned, 1 John 1, 7-9, where John mentions that we too, uh, having been cleansed from all of our sin by Christ, Uh, and Jesus' blood in verse 7. He goes on in verse 8 to say, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There, In this act, um, there is both a, a symbol Uh, a a greater symbol of what Christ was going to do. Um, But there is uh, also a a reality here uh, uh, that we're not only cleansed and forgiven of our sins once and for all, but there is a regular confession and a regular purification that God through His Holy Spirit brings in our lives which continues to make us more and more into the image of Christ, which means we are partaking more and more in the part of Christ, in the share of Christ, in the inheritance of Christ. And so we're on a lifelong lifelong journey of having our feet washed by Christ, the Spirit of Christ Himself, as we look to His Word, as we gather with the church, as we Uh, spend time with one another as we confess sin and as we walk again in faith and obedience. Uh, 
These are good realities for those of us who are Christians and the church here at the, at the Fields Church. But you need to ask yourself, is, is this reality true of you? For Jesus in this moment speaks about a situation that really only He knows. When He says to Peter that the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And He says to Peter at the end of verse 10, and you are clean, but not every one of you. And our English footnotes help us to realize that the first you in that sentence is plural. It would be the Texan y'all. And y'all are clean, but not every one of you singular. So he goes from speaking just to Peter in that moment to speaking of the group of the disciples saying, you're all clean by grace through faith, but not every one of you twelve. For there was one, Judas, who was not clean, um, who was not walking uh, in the grace of God, in faith in Jesus Christ, which is what we'll get to next week when we consider the rest of this passage. But this, this symbol that Jesus describes in this passage is, is one worth understanding. I'm thankful to live on this side of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus on this side of the New Testament being written because I would be just like the disciples, not fully understanding what this moment uh, meant at that time. Um, but as they grew to understand it and write about it, I'm thankful to be able to read those truths and those realities. I'm thankful to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be able to realize that what Jesus was doing, the washing that he was describing there, was more than just dirty feet, but was of, uh, of dirty hearts because of sin. And to remember and know that only Jesus, only um, through his blood, on the cross, can we be cleansed of, of that? But then thirdly, and lastly, this washing of the disciples' feet, more than just a, a moment worth remembering and an act worth understanding, uh, it is a serving and blessed example worth following. A serving and blessed example worth following. This is what we see in verses 12 through 17. When, and John notes that when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? I uh, wonder if the disciples in that moment are saying, you said we wouldn't understand, but now you're asking, do we understand? And while they didn't fully understand and their understanding would come as time would go on, it, it, didn't, um, it didn't cause him to just, you know, uh, gloss over the moment. He, he spoke into the moment so that when they fully did understand, they would know what to do with it. When they fully saw an even greater washing occur on the cross, they would know then how they're to live, uh, live in light of that uh, that moment because they would never be able to give their lives on the cross for the sins of the world. So what were they to do with that? Well, Jesus tells them 
verse 13, he says to them, You call me teacher or rabbi and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Uh, And that is true. Jesus was often called by his disciples, rabbi uh, and Lord. But once Jesus is crucified and resurrected and ascended, we don't see in the New Testament letters any references to Jesus in calling him rabbi. He is much greater than that. Lord, um, the Christ, the Messiah. And yet in this moment, he was. He was their rabbi. He was their their Lord as well. He says, you're right, for so I am. And so here Jesus begins a a way of argumentation. And and there's lots of ways that you could argue and encourage one to, to act in a certain way. You could reason from logic and and Jesus could show why it would be logical for you to wash one another's feet. He could logic simply from persuasion, emotional persuasion uh, in, in doing something. Jesus has argued in a similar way that he does here uh, when Jesus says in Matthew 7 that if you uh, as, as man, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do I and my heavenly Father know how to give good gifts? So there Jesus is arguing from a lesser to a greater. Uh, if you then know how to do it, then how much more do I know how to do it? Well, here Jesus um, puts forward an argument, a greater to a lesser argument. And here he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, and I would say have gone against all cultural and all other kind of norms that you could imagine uh, and have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And there we see those words jump off the page. This idea of servant-hearted, Example. This idea of a blessed example. For Jesus um, argues here from the greater to the lesser, saying, if, if I then your Lord and Master, and you then my servants, if I'm washing your feet, why would you not then wash one another's feet? And so he urges them to, to follow this example. And even says, uh, much like in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you know these things about who I am and about what I'm really talking about in the washing of your feet. Blessed are you if you actually go and and do these things. And yet, we don't see um, any other command to wash one another's feet. We don't see this really told how we're to do this later on. Um, this practice is not pract- has not been practiced by churches throughout history. We don't 
see a coming into a worship gathering with a, a washing of one's feet. Um, because I think that there is a, a greater um, uh, application of this. There's more than just one application of this. Lest we simply wash one another's feet out of ritual uh, every single time and don't really get to the, the loving, humble, servant-hearted, um, blessed example that Jesus really gets at. Which is why uh, I entitled this message, If Washed, Then Wash. There are hundreds, thousands, millions of ways for you to wash one another's feet. For you to go out this week and, and to serve and to humble yourself, though you may be one superior at work, to serve them, to care for them, to be patient, to love. Parents, though you are your children's guardian and caretaker um, and guide in this life, even for you to be able to serve them, love them, be patient with them, help them. We, as your pastors, you who have submitted to us and our leadership aiming to serve you, to care for you, we need to be reminded of this charge to wash one another's feet. Um, there are hosts of ways that, that you could do this. But think of ways that even in our culture, um, servants um, take care of you. Even think when you go out to eat after church this day and a waiter or waitress takes your order, brings you your food, takes your dirty dishes away from you. If you happen to spill, who's the one wiping those things up? Consider in that moment an opportunity to get down on your knees and pick that up, to wipe that table clean, to leave it better than you found it, uh, that you might be able to serve that one and to show them the love of, of Christ in that moment. Uh, think about ways that you can do this time and time again. I was reflecting on this this week, and, and I know... He doesn't want me to mention this, but I just want to show you a picture of this, even amongst uh, our own church. Uh, as I was thinking about this, examples of this, I thought of Casey Harris. I thought of Casey and how faithful this brother is to serve time and time again. Uh, an example of service to me as one of our pastors. And you probably recognize this in his own life. But for more than 20 years, two decades, serving punk teenage boys in hopes to turn them into men. And these boys not realizing the servant that they have in their coach, Casey, not realizing the Savior that they have in Christ, whom Casey is simply serving. But who is it who... Uh, after we walk in with our dirty feet and shoes walking all over this city, come in, traipse all over this dirty, nasty tarp that has 12 years of our church's gunk on it uh, in this gymnasium at this Y, who is it who is rolling up those mats week after week, uh, in one sense, washing our feet? washing what our feet have brought in 
Have you ever seen him afterwards? I mean, he can't, he'll give you an elbow maybe, but he's not going to shake your hand because his hands are black with the dirt that we've brought in from our feet. And yet he's willing to sweep that up. And it's not, he's not doing this for me. He's not doing this simply for you. He's doing it because he knows the depth of Christ's love for him. And he wants to have a place to be able to hear God's word. He wants you to have a place to hear God's word in doing those things. And, and it's not just for me and for us and for the Lord. You know what the fruit of that is too. Watch what's going to happen after th- this morning as he's doing that. There's going to be a host of another generation of young men getting their hands dirty, uh, willing to clean those things up. Not because they think Casey's that awesome, though they do. Uh, They really do. Uh, But because they see the Savior that Casey's worshiping. And they see that Christ is worthy of getting their hands dirty as well. It's those kinds of acts that we need to look out into the world and and find a way to be able to live them out. Um, So yeah, there are what was the number, Scott? Orphan, uh, foster care kids in North Texas? 1,400 kids in North Texas that need a home. And, you know, washing their feet may, be, uh, may, may look like opening up your door, buying a new bed, um, giving up uh, that retirement that Scott was so looking forward to <laughs> and delaying that by caring for kiddos. And what a joy he, he has found in doing so. What does washing uh, feet look like for you this afternoon or for you tomorrow? There's a hundred thousand million different ways for you to insert into that. And I don't want to limit you by just saying orphan care or just say roll up the mats. Uh, insert into that. And when we do as a church, we all insert a loving, um, servant-hearted, humble example of serving others like Christ has served us. How beautiful will that display look for the world around us as a church? And so I hope this morning you've seen more of Christ's love for you, more of His His humility um, in showing it to you, not only in washing the disciples' feet, but in going to the cross. I hope that you've seen that this meant more than just washing dirt off of feet, but washing um, the dirt of sin off of our hearts. I hope that you see that not only did it accomplish your salvation and what it was pointing to, but it gave you an example, uh, one worthy of following in radical ways every day of your life. Um, I hope you'll spend your life considering the depth of Christ's love for you and that the more you consider that, the more you'll want to uh, lay down. The more you realize that you've been washed, the more you'll want to wash one another's. But that begs the question, have you been washed? If you've not been washed, if your sin, if you know your Your heart, if you were to stand before God, is as dirty as the mats that you're walking on. And you'd be embarrassed to stand before the Lord 
If that's the case, then know that in an instant, you simply accepting the grace of God, the, the work that the blood, the shed blood of the Lamb of God on the cross can give you in washing your sins away, simply receive that, that gift by faith, trusting Jesus and Jesus alone to forgive you and save you and know in that moment that you are clean, completely clean. And you no longer need to be washed again. You just need to live a life of repentance and confession of sin and faith to him all the days of your life. And what a life that would be. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this example that you've given us, but this example that has a much deeper meaning, one that I pray we would spend our entire lives um, getting to know more and more. Lord, would you raise up someone among our church, yes, to having been washed, then wash, having been adopted, then to adopt, God, I pray that you might in this, on this day as we've focused on praying for orphans and for the church to care for orphans well, that one of the ways that you cause our church to live that out is to see another family care for those in foster care or to care for orphans around the world through adoption. God, I pray that we would insert into that formula of if washed, then wash, a uh, hundred thousand million different ideas that we might live in whatever way you're calling us to live, to serve, to teach, to give, to go, um, to welcome in, to open our door, to sit with, to listen to, to look into the eyes of to wash. God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, guide us and direct us into ways that we ought to live that out. I pray, Lord, that there might be one here who, unsure about the cleanliness of their heart in coming into this place, would leave with assurance that they have been cleansed. Not by coming here and not by doing anything, but simply by receiving the grace that is given to them by you through your death and your resurrection and the, the blood that you shed for the forgiveness of their sins. And help them then in the power of their Holy Spirit to walk by faith all of the days of their life. God, we want to live loving, humble, servant-hearted lives I pray that you would help us to do so as we go out to be the church in the world. We ask and pray in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake.